describing, I mean, I, th I think the shame is just absolutely key with her. Yeah. She, that makes her hold back. I mean, you know, as we said, guilt makes people want to confess, shame, shame makes them want to hide. And mm -hmm. so she keeps hiding what she's really feeling underneath. Well, one of the things you said to me before when we've talked about her is don't chase someone with a, char a hysterical character. Right. Right. So, if, her tendency, if someone's tendency is to run away, you're not going to help by chasing after them. Welcome to In Contact with the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. During the pandemic, we will continue to host webinars about various clinical topics and we hope you'll attend. When safe to do so, we will resume our case presentations at the ACO campus near Princeton, New Jersey. You can connect with us and learn more at adifferentkindofpsychiatry.com or orgonomy.org. In this episode, you'll hear a mentoring session between two medical ergonomists, but before we begin, I'd like to ask you a favor. Please share an episode with a friend or family member and if you use Apple products, leave a review and a five-star rating in the app. One of the best ways you can support the ACO's efforts in reaching out to a larger audience is by sharing a podcast episode. Leaving a review gives prospective listeners a chance to see that the podcast is worth trying out and a way for the ACO to connect to more of the public. As always, we're open to hearing how we can improve, so if there's any suggestions or comments, please don't hesitate to email us at ACO at Orgonomy.org. To go over with today, one is um, who she's very, she's the hysteric who's very, very has a great difficulty speaking up. Mm -hmm. She's been seeing me twice a week. Mm -hmm. So again, I want to keep urging you to talk about her as this person with an hysteric with an hysteric character. character. She is an hysteric. Yes. Okay, thank you. She's more than her neurosis. Yeah, so much more. Um, but I'm very worried about her. I just saw her this morning, and she looks more depressed to me. Um, she is really having a hard time speaking up in the mm -hmm. session, mm -hmm. and yet she's communicating a great deal. So she sits, mm -hmm. she sits back, and then through the session, she'll sit forward, and it almost looks like she wants to spring up and run out of the of the room. Um, she puts her fist over her mouth and I'll say to her, you know, what is that? And she'll drop it down, <laughs> but she purses her lips, it's down on her lips. Uh, she shakes her head. No, all the time. And I say, go ahead, shake your head. No, no. What, what is that? And, um, what she was able to tell me today in words was she has an incredible amount of shame connected to some childhood memories mm -hmm. and that is really in her way and she's had it for years mm -hmm. and she's really struggling and she looks more depressed to me mm -hmm. than I've seen her in a while she has a history of cutting a history of suicidal thinking no attempts she's not drinking not doing drugs um but the more we get into this slowly, uh, she's suffering terribly. And, mm -hmm. and she said to me today, I'm so hard on myself. I can't forgive myself. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. You know, I, I can't forget what happened. And um, 
you know, she functions. She goes to work mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And she has friends. I'm sorry I didn't mention it in my readings, the story about um, the woman with the chronic pain that I uh, read about. When I was going over that with Morris, uh, he, he said, he said, is this related to what goes on with people who are cutters? And I thought, wow, how insightful. that that, And I had not looked at it that way. Cutting is essentially a self-induced conversion disorder that instead of tolerating emotional pain they will convert it to a physical sensation. People have talked about yeah it makes the person feel more real but as long as your perceptions can be uh, transformed into physical sensations rather than emotional pain. And that's what looks like it's going on with her. She gets these sensations and, and pains and throbbing in her body. And, um, it's it's the emotions are just so intolerable for her that she's converting them to sensations. But I never thought about cutting as a, you know essentially mechanically inducing that conversion. But I'm worried about her. Oh. And um, what does give her relief? I keep asking her that. She does report relief after some sessions, okay. not all of them. Do you, can she identify anything about that? I asked her that today, and she wasn't able to tell. What looks like to me is when she's being very hard on herself that she does not get relief. Uh-huh. If she's less, she's putting less pressure on herself, she's able to kind of discharge more. Right. But it, it's like the shame immobilizes her. And today, my observation of her given her character was she sat and at one point she became just frozen like a statue. She froze. And um, I said to her, you look like a statue right now. Are you aware of that? And she said, I do that a lot. Uh So she must have been aware of it, but it's the first time I Mm -hmm. acknowledged it and we said it together in the session. Um, And then when she does move, some of her body motions are, it looks like she's um, like her face looks like she's in intense pain. Mm-hmm. Her um, her arm will move in a way that that is um, like she's trying to swat something away, mm-hmm. uh, or she's trying to move and run towards the door or mm-hmm. out the office. Um, she has trouble making eye contact with me. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll say to her, you know, just take a breath. Mm-hmm. And then maybe she'll make eye contact with me, but often not. Mm-hmm. Um, she's terrified. Mm-hmm. So, and she's so stuck. I mean, the orality we talked about yeah. before, the orality, she's stuck in that. But the shame, shame is a part of what stops her from being able to express herself. She mm-hmm. cannot even say it. She says, I think it all the time, but I can't say it. Uh-huh. So... I'm worried about her. So we decided I'm going to see her probably twice next week okay. just to, you know, increase support. She has my number. She can call me, but... Well, when you say you're worried, what are you worried about? I guess the cutting, suicidal thinking. Uh-huh. Um, so how long has it been since she cut? No, it's a while. A couple of years that I... Well, I okay. Yeah, it's not... That's not a current okay. problem. Right. But that is in her history. And... You said suicidal thoughts. I mean, what, she's having suicidal thoughts? No, not now, but uh-huh. that, that's been something she's reported in the past. 
Remind me, how long have you seen her? Um, June, since June. Okay. Last June. So has she Seven months. reported suicidal thoughts since you've been seeing her? Uh, mm-hmm. Once. Okay. Once. Came up. Okay. And what she does when she gets them is she just distracts herself. She'll go do something, call a friend, mm-hmm. go out to her friends for, you know, mm-hmm. for dinner. And she has a lot of wonderful friends, which, mm-hmm. you know, is thankfully... But what you're describing, I mean, I, th- I think the shame is just absolutely key with her. Yeah. She, that makes her hold back. I mean, you know, as we said, guilt makes people want to confess, shame, shame makes them want to hide. And mm-hmm. so she keeps hiding what she's really feeling underneath. Yeah. Well, one of the things you said to me before when we've talked about her is don't chase someone with a, char- a hysterical character. Right. Right. So. If, her tendency, if someone's tendency is to run away, you're not going to help by chasing after them. Right. So right. I was very silent in the uh-huh. session. Yeah. Way more than I usually am. And I was aware of that. Like, she needed the silence. She needed to just sit with whatever it was she was feeling. But the suffering... But that's the is, key, is, is does that bring her relief? And, and so that's what you have to find out, is... Uh, she needs to be able to sit with things, so that means you need to be silent, but you also need to evaluate right now, can she tolerate that, or does that just make her shut down more? Right. Well, I found myself moving towards wanting to reassure her. Uh-huh. It's like that acknowledging how hard it is for her, uh-huh. and that she's been through this before, because she's uh-huh. had other therapists, she's touched on some uh-huh. of this before, Mm-hmm. And that she is healthy in mm-hmm. her, you know, deep down in her core, she's a very healthy mm-hmm. core, and that she could get through this. Mm-hmm. Look at look at how far she mm-hmm. has come in her okay. life. So, you know, I offered that to her, and she nodded a little bit, but it's still, you know, the, the shame's just so loud she can't hear that kind of whisper almost. Yeah. So. Yeah. So she asked to come in sooner than next Friday. Okay. So she's going to come in on Tuesday. Um, but the bottom line is, is, is uh, as you said, she needs to be able to overcome the shame and speak. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, she'll get relief by just being able to speak up. Mm-hmm. But there's all that stuff in the way. So. Well, she started the session by talking about her mom. Okay. So... There might be a lot there okay. related to her mom that we've never really talked about. Okay. So, so, so yeah. So stay with where where she's already able to mm-hmm. express herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my heart breaks for her. Mm-hmm. But I, I I wasn't sure when you're saying your your impulse is to reassure. Are you thinking that's a problem, or that would be a good thing to do, or? Um, I felt like she needed it. Yeah, okay. To just leave her dangling without that kind of support at the end. It was right at the end as we were kind of closing the session. Uh-huh. Okay. So just felt like the right thing to do. Yeah, so follow, yeah, follow, you have good instincts, so follow your instincts about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is if we're correct about her character diagnosis, she's not fragile. She may be right. very sensitive. She may be suffering. And so she needs your encouragement, you know, 
and that, that includes not treating her as if she's incapable of handling all this. Yeah. No, I think she's quite capable of it. Right. She just doesn't know that or believe it. That's right. Yeah. So, so any uh, implication that she's too fragile to handle it, um, you know, will undermine her own uh, desire to deal with it. So, which is very different than uh, you know, as, as we've said before, if her character were schizophrenic. Um, she needs to be treated as if she's fragile. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm not seeing that. What's that? I'm not seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't yeah. seem like she's functioning that way. Um, so, again, um, you may be concerned about her, but be cautious about you initiating additional sessions. Let that go. Yeah, she, she asked for it. Good, I didn't, I didn't good. offer so, so, let her speak up for what she needs. Right, exactly. Good. Exactly. Good. So, but in someone with an hysterical character, here's a better question. Are there some character types that are more prone to suicide? Yeah. Yeah. Which, which ones? Well, there's something, somebody who's more, who's more impulsive, like a manic depressive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly manic depressive character is uh, much more prone to suicide than, than others, and you know, the reason for that is one, the impulsivity you described, but also the instability and the fact that they can go into a, um, you know, a terribly deep depression and see nothing other than the hopelessness. Mm-hmm. But also manic depressives are at risk of suicide when they start getting expansive. Uh-huh. The intolerance of, of excitation is what the bottom line is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People will commit suicide to get out of any intolerable feeling, whether that's depression, pain, sadness, anger. Shame. Shame, yes. I mean, how many, you know, um, you know upstanding, so-called upstanding citizens or big corporate executives suddenly are exposed and they kill themselves. That's, that's shame. Really? Huh. It's not depression usually, it's intolerable shame. What about hysterics and suicide? Um, or patients with hysterical <laughs> character? Yeah, good, I'm corrected. Um, the typically they're not they're not uh, as a bit higher risk for actually committing suicide, but they may make suicide attempts, uh, and that's. Partly, it's the drama. The drama, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, just creating uh, excitation. You know. hmm. All right. Because also they often, you know, they can be terribly depressed, but they will uh, come out of it you know, much more quickly than someone with a. Um, a, a basic depressive aspect to the character. Yeah, I'm not seeing that with her. She's not, she's depressed about something, but it's not the whole way that she functions. Right. 
you know, she she goes to work, she's social, she has friends. But well, did did we say her sub? She has a subtype of oral repressed. Oral is, repressed is there, stereo. That's what I thought. Yeah. Right. So, so that's with, with the, them, the the tendency is is to have a low grade depressive aspect to their character. They don't go into severe depressions the way um, someone with a phallic character or a manic depressive character might. The the people with an hysterical character that I've seen go into a severe depression are ones that have a oral unstable block. That's almost. What would that look like clinically? What's that? What does that look like clinically? So, well, um, they can have expansive periods. It's very much it, it's if you imagine a manic depressive as. Uh, um, phallic character with an oral unstable block. Mm -hmm. So it would be hysteria with an oral unstable block. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they may uh, at times be over-talkative and expansive, but then they can be terribly hard on themselves and and contract severely and and get stuck in that depression more than any other hysterical type character. Hmm. It's It's not a common type, but I've seen it, and, and you know, where they, that type, I think, is truly at risk for suicide among the hysterical characters. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's oral. What's that? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's oral repression. I don't think there's oral instability, right. from what I can see. Remind me, what's her body type like? Um, so, she's like five foot Seven uh, medium-sized breasts, um, kind of pear-shaped mm-hmm. body. Um, Smaller on top than the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And her lips, her mouth. Well, she always uh, purses her lips like she bites down, thin-lipped. Thin lips. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and that, her jaw, jaws tight. Okay. So that tell. goes with the oral repression. Yeah. Yeah, and you just see the tension. But that that body type is is classical for that subtype. Okay. Okay. Well, I'll see her Tuesday, and then I'll see. Mm -hmm. Um. No, but again, I think you're doing very good work with her, but, you know... Someone like that that gets stuck, it's hard, because you'll feel it. It's hard watching it. But but also don't forget, if, if you let yourself just make contact, you're going to feel what she's feeling. And that's our job, is to be able to tolerate feeling it, but not get stuck in them. As somebody said, you know, learn how to walk in somebody's shoes, but you've got to learn how to get out of their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the family doctor part of me wants to like do something yeah, and go into like fix it mode. Yeah. And I, I today I just sat back and okay, just good. let it happen, and that 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 was harder on me. But um, but I think she she got in touch with more of the depth of what she's suffering with. She let me see how much she's okay. struggling. Good. Which I, I acknowledge was progress for her. Yeah, so she's not hiding as much, which is, uh, you know, I mean, as I've said too many times, the cure for shame is coming out of hiding. Yeah. yeah. And so she's doing that bit by bit, mm-hmm. by you being present and not judging her. I mean, the, 
She's so afraid of being judged. But the shame is so much. Yeah. It's... What's her ethnic background? Italian. Italian, okay. Why? What is that? Well, usually Italians are more prone to guilt Guilt. than shame. (laughs) Shame's what, the Irish? (laughs) Yeah, shame shame is more with Irish. That's funny. Okay, so I wanted to switch gears and talk about uh, a second patient, a 15-year-old with um, paranoid schizophrenic character type. Okay. Um, so as her antipsychotic is being lowered, mm-hmm. I'm seeing this more bubbly, mm-hmm. uh, fun, mm-hmm. more engaged mm-hmm. teenager come forward. Mm-hmm. And... There's a superficial quality to her Mm. that's, hi, Dr. Marcel, how are you? You know, chipper Mm -hmm. and like very much on the surface. But every once in a while, she'll shoot me a look that looks very serious. Mm -hmm. But she keeps it up top. You know, let's just talk. So how are you? What do you do? What's going on? So, So in our last session, I found myself saying to her, more things about myself mm-hmm. as maybe like a lead to let her talk about mm-hmm. herself. Yeah. So one of the, the challenges she, you know, she had a psychotic episode in the fall and now she's not, you know, how do you recover from that? Mm-hmm. How do you kind of go back to your life as a teenager? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's it like to know you function differently maybe than someone else? And that mm-hmm. was, that was the theme of the last session. Okay, good. Yes, it's very good. Um, and so I shared with her how uh, I sometimes flip letters and numbers around mm-hmm. with dyslexia. And it really got in my way when I was studying in high school and college. And and she got, she's really amazed. How'd you do that? How'd you get through school? <laughs> you know, she was very curious mm-hmm. about me. And I said, you know, I guess it's what you do with it. You know, Mm -hmm. you you make it work for you. You find your way around it. Um, You know, you learn to live with it. You you learn what works, what doesn't. And then I tossed the ball back to her and said, kind of like what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you know. Good. And the way you think. You think differently. You think more creatively. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have other interests. You like to write. Uh, You know, you're more serious. And uh, that rang true. So it was like Mm -hmm. I was using Mm -hmm. something about myself to help her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. open up a little bit more about mm-hmm. what she went through, but she does not want to talk in depth about what happened right. when she was um, hospitalized. That's, but I think that's wise. Because, she needs that wall up yeah, yeah. to be able to function. Right. Um, but what I, I like what I'm seeing. There's this yeah, happy child or teenager coming back to life in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and her family's seeing it. I'm seeing it. She's making, she has two sets of friends, old friends from her old school. She's in a mm-hmm. different school now. She really is. She has a bunch of new friends. Mm-hmm. She's going out. She's more social. So that, that just, it's amazing well, to me <laughs> watching good. her bloom. Yeah, great. Great. Yeah. So what is the new school? So it's, is it a therapeutic? It's a therapeutic school. Okay. She has 20 right. students in her class. Okay. But she's made new friends. There. She's yeah, made new friends. Since I last and, and some of these last new, talked with me about her. That's great. Yeah. Well, some of these new friends have problems themselves. Right. You know, they're in the school for various right. reasons. And I think she's learning that, okay, so you're different, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. 
it's you can still function. You can still mm-hmm. go to school, have your classes, learn, you know, and, and rebuild your life. And she told me she wants to maybe be a doctor one day. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just want to make a comment about, you know, what you're saying, revealing things about yourself, because the, you know, so much of our classical psychiatry training or the psychoanalytic training is you don't reveal. You know, you stay a blank slate, and that's kind of how I was trained. <laughs> I know. I think yeah. any of us who were trained in the days when the when psychoanalysts still were part of the psychiatric training got that view. But if you if you look at it functionally, the question is, what is the function of you revealing something about yourself? And it's what. Uh, um, one of the stories I wrote in my book was the, um, the surgeon and the psychiatrist. So it's, this is what I call the emotional sponge count. So as a psychiatrist, <laughs> what? Yes, as a psychiatrist, <laughs> as a psychiatrist, you've got to keep track of every instrument you put into the field, every sponge you put into the field. Otherwise, you can get in trouble by that. You know, it getting buried and you not being aware that you've introduced uh-huh. this, but it's it's right to, for you to introduce things, but you got to keep track. You got to know what you put in the field, what the effect is. Watch the effect of you doing that. And with her, I don't have any doubt that it's she. Her character is paranoid. So for you to reveal yourself, I mean, trust and truth are from the same word root. So she's. She will trust you if she hears the truth, if she senses you're holding something back. And you have to hold things back, but but if you can reveal something, and I have a patient with that character type that I've revealed more to him about me than any other patient I've ever revealed, because it's it's the currency of, well, I mean, he, he now can say, well, I'm not going to tell you anything until you tell me something about you first. Oh, isn't that interesting? So, um, That's kind of what it feels like yeah, for her. Yeah, you, you, she needs to um, have you show who you are before she can trust coming out to show who, who she is. Yeah, and her experience with the other doctors that have taken care of her over the past mm-hmm. seven months, some of it was pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, very mechanical, very cold, mm-hmm. dismissive, um, rigid. Yeah. And she was just a scared young teen yeah. who had a real problem. Yeah. You know, she could not integrate what was happening yeah. to her. So I think she may have looked at me that way, and that's starting mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. So, you Again, know, remember the emotional sponge count. Yeah, Keep yeah, track yeah. of, you know, I mean, with the... The patient I'm talking about, the, uh, many times I've said, um, I, you forgot to read me my therapist Miranda rights. Anything I say <laughs> can and will be used against me. Because <laughs> you know? huh. often people with that character type, they will remember the slightest little detail. So be aware. It may come, I mean, with this guy, uh, sometimes five years later, I heard something that I had said that I'd totally forgotten I'd said to him, and he brought it back up. But that really flies in the face of traditional psychiatric training, where the doctor is 
Well, I, I think the yes, yeah, but the the function of that is is if the doctor can't make the distinction between their own neurotic impulses and expressions compared to their own healthy ones, they're going to be spilling stuff, violating boundaries without being clear what the um, function of what they're saying is. So the solution to that has been a rigid rule, don't reveal anything. But what I'm saying is if you approach it functionally, you can reveal a lot uh, as long as you see the effect of what you're doing. It had a great effect, I think. Yeah, but it, but it's also not just the immediate effect. You've got to watch and uh-huh. keep track. Okay, yeah, I did tell her about that. Now what, what's happened with that? And you, know, you, you need to know the, the effect the next session, the month from now, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, okay, so question about someone like, like this patient and that character diagnosis. As far as suicide goes, mm-hmm. it's not on my radar now with her. Mm-hmm. But I do periodically think about that for all my patients, mm-hmm. and I don't know what I want to ask, but just what would be a a, a thing to look for to wonder like, maybe that's more likely. Uh, somebody like a teenager with paranoid schizophrenic character would maybe do something to hurt themselves, and and I get I'm answering my own question as I'm thinking mm-hmm. this through. Okay, good. When the trust is broken, if I do something that mm-hmm. changes the trust currency, mm-hmm. you know, to use your word, with the sponge cow, that, that if I do something that is harmful in that way, that mm-hmm. if the trust gets broken, then in, in their anger they could take it out on themselves, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but but it's even more than that. What I was saying is any intolerable feeling. So the key thing, one of the key things with someone with a schizophrenic character is that sense that they are disconnected from the rest of humanity. So if they feel totally isolated, um, removed, um, you know, that can be intolerable. So that's where the trust comes in. If they can trust you, they have, um, I mean, you, you know, in movie night, the movie Gravity that you love so much, that sense of just being adrift, uh, if that, if someone experiences that and it's intolerable, it can make them feel hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, so the trust with the therapist is that that um, lifeline. You know, one of my old mentors back in my residency used to say often, "You just sitting in the chair and being present mm-hmm. is often enough. Yeah. Just you're being there. Yeah. You're listening." Maybe it, he said, maybe that's 80%. The other 20% is what you say, what comes out of your mouth and what you do. Yeah. Just being in the room with the person yeah. and being present, not just in the room, but really listening. Yeah, but, but our term for that is contact. Contact, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that's been improving with this teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's so much more to her. Again, mm-hmm. those those serious looks that she shoots at me mm-hmm. once in a while. She'll mm-hmm. 
um, you know, she'll play with some of the toys in my office and, you know, she's having fun with it and uh, she'll then she'll look up at me and there's this serious look. Mm-hmm. It, it almost, um, the, the response in me, like when I see it is, whoa, there it is again. Mm-hmm. What is that? There mm-hmm. it is again. Mm-hmm. Like there's this other human being way below the surface yeah. and... I don't go running after it. I just see mm-hmm. that it's there, and when it comes up, it comes up. But yeah. um, my my guess is she thinks about things on such a deep level that maybe she cognitively or emotionally just can't really allow herself to experience because it's it well, it's too we overwhelming. Have, we always talk about the schizophrenic character has a problem with integration, so that's exactly what you're talking about. She may have tremendous talents and, and health, but that's not integrated in how she can live day-to-day mm-hmm. well enough. I mean, that's the, that's your work, is mm-hmm. to help her be able to integrate this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't remember if we've talked much about it, but the, you know, I'm always looking at what is the healthy aspect of someone that underlies the neurotic character. And... If schizophrenia is basically a disorder of the integration between perception and excitation, then um, what what is the basic talent, the, the natural ability this person has? And I think part of it is the capacity to manipulate perceptions. What does that mean? To, to be able to see things, not manipulate's not the right word, but to be able to see things from very unusual points of view. And I think um, when that goes off, they can hallucinate, have a distorted perception of that sort, or delusions that are distorted perceptions. But I think that's the basis of, of why people talk about uh, art and madness going hand in hand. Uh, An artist yeah. has the capacity to see things in a way nobody else has seen. And I think someone with the nature that underlies schizophrenia has that capacity to perceive things in, in very different ways. And if they don't match social norms, they start to feel crazy. So that I think that's what you're picking up underneath. She, I mean, the you showed me the drawings she did. Yeah. I mean, she she is able to capture just in a in quick informal drawing a way of looking at things that are very different. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think Greg said it a number of places. Is is the great artists, you know, see more than they can tolerate, and that's what can make them go crazy. Huh. And I, I think her connection with some of her new school friends mm-hmm. who see the world differently. Okay, yep. That's been good for her. Yeah, okay. She's not alone. She's not alone. And She's got other things. teens yep. who are, okay, they, they have their way of seeing things right. too, and that that's okay. Right. The teachers, the counselors, they get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. at a traditional high school, they didn't get it. Yeah, um, yeah for whatever reason and in this school she's she's got more emotional connections so yeah, yeah. good yeah and she yeah. really likes school 
She's doing well. Oh, she's, she's not good. No, yeah, that's all since the last time you talked yeah, to me about she's it. That's great. Doing well. Uh -huh. um, getting A's and B's and everything, and mm -hmm. you know, and she's writing. I've encouraged her to write. She likes to okay, write. Good. And uh, so uh, just one more thing. Yeah. Don't forget what you said. Um, just being there and being present so that contact occurs between the two of you is is absolutely what her therapy is about. How do you feel after listening to these discussions? What do you think? When you picture two psychiatrists discussing a patient's care, is this what you imagined? We are interested in your questions and comments. Connect with us using the links in the show notes. If you like our work, be sure to subscribe and leave a favorable rating. Here's where I normally tease the next episode, but it's harder to stick to a plan during the pandemic I found. Have you noticed this? We'll have an episode every month, pandemic or not, but for now, I'll leave you in suspense. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to In Contact with the ACO. Connect with us using the links in the show notes.